0: Welcome once again to the Global Gale Podcast. It is almost upon us, Saint Patrick's Day, ladies and gentlemen. And always with that, there is music and there is crack in the air. My name is Philip O'Connor, coming to you from my little studio here in the Swedish capital of Stockholm. I hope you're well wherever you are in the world, whether you're in Sydney or in San Francisco. I hope your years off to a flying start, and that your New Year's resolutions are that you're still at them, and that they're tremendous. Tremendously successful and they've changed our life for the better as we come into the month of March and uh, towards St. Patrick's Day. Um, it's uh, been a little bit of fun and games now recently. Um, the last sort of 20 odd years we've had a parade here in Stockholm as I'm sure you're getting ready for these things around the world. And this year it looks like i got to be St. Patrick again but the looks of things, if I can manage it, we have a few things going on in the family which might uh, put a stop to that notion. But it's always good crack to be up there at the head of the parade here. I see that uh, down below in the Gulf, in Qatar and in Doha, that they're getting ready for the big, uh, the green tie ball, I think it's what it's called down there. But there's certainly a big St. Patrick's Day ball there. Kuala Lumpur, of course, will have them out in their thousands in their finalry celebrating again. And, of course, marching through New York City on the day itself. There'll be a parade down there as well. Friday this year, which is going to make for a hell of a long weekend. So I hope you're getting ready for it. I hope you've gotten yourself straightened out for it, wherever green is worn and that you're ready to go. I actually got a mail today. Not actually... I didn't tell you a lie. I was on Facebook today and I saw that the city of Malmö down in the south of Sweden just across the, the famous bridge there from the TV show from Copenhagen and that they're going to be having a parade themselves this year and it's very easy to look at sort of you know the second or third cities of uh, of countries that we live in and think yeah well, so why are they doing that? I think it's brilliant. I can't wait to see how they get on down there and I hope that plenty of people turn out and that they have the crack down there. If you're listening to this on the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast feed which you are because that's where it turns up every week. You'll find a podcast called Irish in Sweden there and you'll find it all about the the Swedish-Irish community. So if you have any interest in the European-Irish or European GAA or that kind of thing, it is all there for you as well. Now shortly I'm going to be talking to a gentleman that I know very, very well in more or less my whole life. I went to school with this chap in Dublin. Uh, His name is Declan McGuinness. And the moment he finished his Leaving Cert, Declan basically decamped and went to London. Ended up uh, studying over there for many years uh, and was hugely into music. Right, Absolutely, seven nights a week, out watching gigs, talking about stuff. Started his own fanzine in London, met his wife in London, who's also Irish. She's also a big music fan. Nobody could be as big a music fan as what Declan is. But uh, he has started a new sort of... I don't know if you could call it a social media site, but certainly a platform of some description, right? And it's called Fan Club. FanClubltd.com is where you'll you'll find it. That stands for Fan Club Limited. And basically what the the site does is it collects music from an awful lot of Irish musicians, but also from around the world. And they put up these um, exclusive performances, video performances of their songs. And Deck had this idea, and I just thought it was a brilliant thing altogether. And I thought I'd love to bring it to you because we've had, like, you know, Irish musicians on this show in the past. And it's another place where they can showcase themselves and. Uh, they can make a few bob out of it as well Because the revenues are all shared with the artists And that kind of thing Declan hasn't done this to become a millionaire Or anything else like that So I thought that I would speak to him Before I do that uh, I just wanted to let you know That I'm really really grateful I got a lovely mail there during the week About one of the podcasts we put out there recently You know and You seem to be enjoying them If you are doing so Go to uh, patreon.com Forward slash Errolman in Stockholm Patreon.com Forward slash Errolman in Stockholm And throw in a five or six euro a month Whatever you can manage And it will help keep the lights on Because I have big plans Plans for this year. I'm actually going to Dublin very soon to talk to people about doing stuff around the Women's World Cup down below in Australia, and I'm hoping to do, as I mentioned on the show before, some live podcasts from down there. Uh, with you know with the idea being that you know the pandemic is sort of in the rearview mirror now and really get out and visit the Irish communities abroad where I can. Now obviously I'll be doing other work down there as well, but every little bit helps, ladies and gentlemen. So if you do have a five or six euro to spare every month, if you don't, that's fine, because as I've said before, I know what it's like to be poor in abroad, right? When you've moved abroad for the first time and you'll see them all in the Facebook groups looking for accommodation and saying Kilda down below in Australia and that kind of thing, I know what that's like to be trying to get yourself established. Don't worry about it. But if you can't do that, if you can't support the podcast financially consider sharing the episodes right consider passing them on to other people in your community because even though even with the irish and sweden one which has been running for ages that's a podcast that i've been doing for a long time i still get people in sweden saying to me i oh, going oh Jay's, i didn't know you did that and it will drive you up the wall entirely right uh, i'm getting rid of the various different social media profiles that go along because there's too many of them and sure it's only me who's doing these things anyway so the global gale instagram will be disappearing in the near future and you'll find me on the instagram as at philip or you'll find me on as Philip O'Connor, journalist, on Facebook. Uh, and yeah, you'll find me on LinkedIn and all the other places. But if, And at Philip O'Connor on Twitter, of course, is a place probably where I'm most active. So if you follow me there, you won't miss a trick. And I can guarantee you that for that five or six euro month, you'll be getting at least eight podcasts. Four of which at a Global Gale. Uh, that's dedicated to the 70 million Irish around the world, or the people, the 70 million Irish people of Irish heritage around the world. You have the Irish in Sweden podcast. You have the Iron Man in Stockholm podcast. You have a podcast called Premier Swedes, which talks to uh, the Swedish footballers who play in the Premier. League, fairly apparent from the name I would have thought, and God only knows what else will be coming out there. There's a couple of business podcasts coming up as well that was talking to somebody about the other day but all of it will go on the one feed so it's all theirs and and really it doesn't come down to the money because look, a fiver is a cup of coffee in most of the places that the Irish around the world are living for the most part, you know, in, in wherever in, in Stockholm or in New York. So if you can throw it in there, and the more people who do it, the more free I'll be to come to your events and to come and visit you where you are and tell your stories from there rather than having to call you up on Zoom because lads, love chatting with you on Zoom love chat with you on the podcast in general, right? But I'd love to get out there and sit down across the table from you in some of the Irish bars of New York or in Chicago, that kind of thing. And really, you know, visit the places that you work and see your communities in action. And if you're doing any events or that kind of thing, feel free to get in touch. And if I happen to be passing through, I'll probably pop up. Anyway, this is the conversation with Declan. Now, Declan lives in the Cayman Islands, but he has the kind of job where he travels an awful lot. So he'd just be back in London and Luxembourg and Dublin and that kind of thing a whole lot. Unfortunately now, uh, I wasn't able to hook up with him in person to do this conversation. But the most important thing, especially for those of you listening in London, Joe O'Neill and your entire Irish Creative Collective, I hope you're pricking up your ears at the mention of your organisation now. Deck and Fan Club are putting on a gig in London on the 12th of March, right? And the whole idea is to get people in the door, enjoy the live music, create the, the exclusive video content, and then pull it up there for people around the world to see, right? So I think the tickets are peanuts, right? Uh, so go down there. I think he said it was, it's either six artists or 10 artists. I can't remember, but whoever it is, it's going to be pretty decent That it's going to be well worth watching. So keep that in mind. He'll give the details. Fanclublimited.com is where you'll find it. Fanclubltd.com is where you'll find all the details. But here it is now, the chat with Declan McGuinness A childhood friend A school friend And luckily at the age of 51 I still have him in my life And I'm very grateful for it And I also now have Fan club in my life And she's not giving me Great new music altogether So here he is We shall get to the wonders of fan club and everything else in the very, very near future, Declan. But could I just sort of rewind a little bit to when the first time you left Ireland, was that to, to move to London, was it?
1: Yeah, that was um, after the leaving cert. Yeah, I went to college in London. Well, I went for a summer to work and ended up staying.
0: Because It was amazing because you just sort of, you know, you seem to do the leaving cert one day and then the next day you were gone, you know, and you, yeah. and you seem to stay away for like 10 years after that then.
1: That's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I went I went straight after the leaving cert just for the summer, um, but ended up staying and going to college.
0: And what was um, it that kept you there? Because you know, a lot of like a lot of people did go. You know, back in, in nineteen eighty nine, that would have been a lot of people did go over there and sort of stay in there. What in particular was it that kept you there? What did you like about London?
1: Um, I don't know. It took a while to get to like it. It took a while to settle in and like it. Um, but I was. I was in college, um, I started doing a music fanzine, I was loving the music scene over there and the, all the artists and bands, that kind of thing. Then I guess I met my future wife and and stayed. Future she and current, be, it has to be said. And, and current, and current, exactly. Um, so I finished college and she was Irish also and she was working away there, so it wasn't really uh, on the cards to, to move home at that stage after college, so just stayed on and got a job.
0: Mm. Even when we went to school, we would have been in the Bagot Inn and we would have been in the underground at McGonigals and watching bands from the time we were sort of 15 or 16 years of age. When you got to London at that point, how different was it? Because it seemed to us back home that when you started the IROC Fanzine, you know, that you were out sort of seven nights a week looking at bands, all sorts of brilliant bands that we would have given our left arm to see at that point.
1: There was a bit of that. There weren't all great bands, but uh, there was a bit of that, yeah. I, I got to London and I didn't know anybody. And I came up with the idea of doing a fanzine as a way of of getting to meet people, going to gigs, getting free tickets for gigs was a big part of doing a fanzine and um, being invited to gigs, getting free CDs, music, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, there's gigs on every night, you know, Camden Town was 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 a great place to be. And um, yeah, the, all all those venues had bands on every night and you're just going along and you're you're get, getting to know them, getting to know some of the artists, the bands, getting to know some of the PR people and getting sent tickets for gigs all the time so it was a good time to be there hmm. and then as we got further into the 90s we had the whole Britpop you know explosion so it was it was a great time to be there
0: yeah and um, how was it for Irish bands at that time because you know bands that we would have gone to school with and lads that we knew who played and girls and who, who played that kind, were they coming over and sort of trying to break into the British scene? were they people who would have gotten in touch with you once you'd established yourself there
1: yeah, there, there was a bit of that. Um, a, a lot of them, they had a lot of them were centered around more the kind of the mean fiddler rather than Camden Town. So there was that kind of Irish scene of Irish bands were playing that venue. And and then there, every summer the, back then they had the FLA, the festival in Finsbury Park. So it was very much Irish bands. So, yeah, there, there, there was a lot of that. I remember some great nights with like people like the Forget Me Nuts and bands like that where we um they, they come over and play gigs. Yeah.
0: Were you sort of a bridge between those two scenes? You mentioned there was a different thing between the Mean Fiddler and Camden there. Where did you fit into it and where did the I Rock fans in? I mean, from the name of it alone, it would say that it was fairly Irish focused. Did you sort of fit into one camp or the other or were you just doing your own thing?
1: I was kind of do my own thing. I, I mean, I called it Irish rock, I rock, and I, I was that because I, they were the bands I knew, and I knew Irish bands before I got to know any of the English or London bands. But, um, I, I guess I spent more time in Camden and more with the the English artists, the English bands. Um, but it was just trying to do a crossover. It was I wasn't trying to be restricted to any any type.
0: Was there anybody in particular who sort of stood out that you would have seen early in their careers, or did you just enjoy the sort of whole buzz of you know as we all did at the time watching bands come up, some of them more successful than others?
1: Yeah, lots of them. (laughs) Lots. There was a lot of really good bands who never made it. You know the usual story, and you know there's some brilliant Irish bands that came over and never made it. Um, But some of the the ones that saw early days, yeah, um, Sneaker Pimps come to mind seeing them in a tiny club with just a few people um i don't know i I mean i got to see a lot of the early um oasis gigs and things like that as well which was great um in the in the early 90s um
0: did you realize how they, how big they were going to be? Because I remember I was talking to Morty McCarthy from the Sultans of Ping there recently, and he was saying the yeah. first time he saw them, he we went, "Yeah, okay, I get this. This is going to be absolutely huge." Did you have the same thing, or was it kind of like the first time I saw Erling Haaland or, or heard of Erling Haaland playing football, I just went, "Nah, he'll never make it." Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> it it was a bit like that. Yeah, because I I didn't I didn't think they'd be as big as they were, you know, and selling two nights at Nebworth and all that kind of thing, but. They they were just streets apart from anyone else at the time. That the buzz in the room when they were in the room and when they just got on stage, it was just a, a, a huge, just a different atmosphere with them. But they yeah, they were streets ahead of any of all the others.
0: Yeah, they often had that reputation not being the greatest musicians or the greatest players, but they certainly had some great songs. Were they very raw when you would have seen them the first few times at Camden? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, they were. But it was it was also um. I mean, most of the bands were raw at that stage. You know what I mean. When you're going to little venues in Camden and stuff, most of them are raw. It's it's not about, you know, some great sound and great musicianship. It's just about the the you know the vibe in the room and and the songs coming across well. And and they they could just carry it off. They just had and obviously they had that swagger and that kind of confidence.
0: Was there was it a very competitive scene, Dick? Because I think in Dublin, you know, there was times when, you know, there was bands that fell out with one another and that kind of thing. But for the most part, it was quite supportive. We would have been delighted to see anybody getting a record deal at that point. Was it the same vibe in London or was it a much sort of harder culture now, would you have said?
1: No, I think it was the same vibe. I think they all bands were out supporting each other. You'd you'd go to, you know, go to Dublin Castle or something for a gig, and there'd be all sorts of other musicians and guys there just to see the gig. They they were all supporting each other. There was a bit of you know when it got to that whole Blur and Oasis thing later in the mid nineties. I, th- I think that was more the media kind of contrived that more so than the bands having any problems with each other, you know, um, because, you, you know, I, you'd go to, you know, Blur would be at Oasis gigs and Oasis would be at Blur gigs and all that kind of thing. And, you know, Pope and all those kind of bands, they, they all kind of hung out together. You'd see them at the bar together. Mm. I, w- I worked in the Shepherds Bush Empire then for, for a good po- portion of my time there. And you'd see all these bands hanging out together in the, you know, the backstage bar and parties and stuff
0: what was that experience like because that brings you another step closer to the whole scene with these bands coming in sort of seven nights a week and playing there you know was that a fun experience
1: oh it was brilliant it was a great experience and you know and even when i got out of college and got my full-time job and all that i I still worked at the empire as long as i could because it was just so much fun um the, the first time i went i got i got tickets for the cranberries um backstage tickets for the cranberries through the fanzine and they had a post. There was a poster on the wall for Elvis Costello playing four Fridays in November, and I couldn't afford to go for four Fridays in November to see Elvis Costello. So I, I went up and got a job. <laughs> I just at the at the backstage party I asked for could I speak to the bar manager. Got him. I said, "Yeah, any chance of a job?" I said, "Yeah, come in tomorrow and we'll, we'll give you a test." And um, and that's that's how I started working there. But um, yeah, that's brilliant times there. Great bands. Really great venue.
0: Uh, the Cranberries at that point as well would they have been fairly sort of young in their career this would have been pre-Dreams and Zombie and all that kind of thing yeah yeah
1: well they're they're one of the ones actually when you said who would you see early on I saw the Cranberries supporting Belly um, and I didn't really know anything about the Cranberries I kind of heard their name but I was a big fan of Belly and Belly came over to play their first you know London gigs in University of London in the, in the Student Union and Cranberries were supporting and it was like wow these guys are really good so, um, yeah, saw so, so them develop through the stages and during the fanzine, I got to meet them a couple of times and chat to them a few times. And um, yeah, so they they, you know, it was exciting to see them, you know, to see them change and develop over the years.
0: We used to rehearse in this old building when I was playing music in uh, the Ormond Multimedia Centre there in the Keys in Dublin. Yeah. And the Cranberries used to rehearse in the same building. And Dolores Reardon always came across to me as one of the shyest people I'd ever met. Was she different in London? Because you kind of have to go there with your elbows out and go, look, at this is me. These are my songs. Make me famous kind of thing.
1: I, I've, I, I saw her both ways. I saw her um, where she kind of... Not so much hide behind but be behind the guys and let the guys do all the kind of talking and stuff and then other times just being the the front person I remember at a, a particular um industry thing or party in a, in a one of the hotels and I had just put her on the front cover and um of the fanzine I had this cool cover but I didn't have an interview with her and so I remember talking to her about doing an interview and and she was just i was i was basically kind of you know making a joke of the fact that you're now going to be rich and famous cuz you're on the front of my fanzine so you have to give me an interview <laughs> but she was great fun and she was just joking along with the whole story and you know um so not not quiet or shy at all she was great but um i, I never did get the interview though
0: <laughs> were you surprised at how big they became after that would they've been one of those bands like Oasis that you go okay i see where this is coming from
1: yeah, not, not so much because I saw them, you know, when they went to the States and as an Irish an Irish band, who, not many of them do what they did. You know, they did the whole U2 thing where they just went on a tour bus and gigged and gigged and gigged and took all the support slots they could get. And, you know, they famously supported Duran Duran, I think, for years and for on a big tour. And then they, they flipped the tour halfway that Duran Duran supported the Cranberries um because they did so well so they they just worked hard and gigged all the time so you know it was always going to happen for them they were great
0: is that the secret of it? Because, you know, there's always that thing of, uh, OK, you know, well, we get a record deal and then we put the record out. And that really is only when the work begins, because it seems to me that you've got to travel, you know, to the Shepherds Bush Empire and all the university and college bars that you can find in England and a college circuit in the States and that kind of thing. You know, from all, for all the bands that you've seen traveling over and back to, to the UK and to America, is that, you know, the secret sauce?
1: I think it is with rock bands. I mean, look at Inhaler. Inhaler are doing that at the moment. They're just playing all the time, traveling and touring all the time. And it's paying off for them. I mean, obviously, you know, we're, we're in the kind of the TikTok generation where you will get artists come and go very quickly on the back of, you know, a video or a song or something on TikTok. But I think I think there's still no, you know, that, that's still tried and tested way of touring and gigging all the time. Is You know, it pays off for artists.
0: Where does your personal love of music come from? I can't remember a time when you weren't talking about either Arsenal Football Club or music, or Anna, of course, and the kids, but you know, those two things seem to be sort of, you know, the prime uh, motivation factors in your life.
1: I, 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 it was probably the banished filth back in the 80s and the bag it in. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. We don't have the
0: libel insurance to discuss this, but we'll allow it.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I just always got into music as a kid and I was into, you know, I remember saving my pocket money and i going into Dolphin Discs and buying vinyl records and all that kind of stuff. And I get into Kate Bush at a very young age and Adam and the Ants and all these artists at the time. But I just always loved it. Mm-hmm. And I could never play music or sing. So I was always kind of on the fringes of, you know, the industry or going to gigs and hanging out with people. But yeah, I just always loved it. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you remember when you discovered that you know rock music or music was something that was also made in Ireland as well? Because I remember you know very early thinking you know when somebody told me Thin Lizzy were Irish, you're going, okay, we can do this too, kind of thing. Can you remember what band it was that uh, the penny dropped for you that these things fell were in Ireland as well? It was, I guess,
1: you too um, at Live Aid. That was yeah. a big defining moment, and then Self Aid being a year later in 1986 with all the Irish artists that were playing that and. And two and no or brilliant that day. And, you know, Christy Moore, lots of those artists seeing them play that. It's like, yeah, you know, we, we can compete on the world stage. Mm. And then and then shortly after that we had all the, you know, we'd really it was a really good time in Dublin for, you know, if something happens, Hot House Flares, all these artists that were, were Aslan, It was a great the time house. for music. Yeah. House.
0: Yeah, um, what, what were your own dreams at that time, Dick? Because you mentioned there that you couldn't sing, you couldn't play, you started the in and that kind of thing. Did you ever have sort of, you know, the idea that, okay, I want this to be the next Hot Press, the next new Musical Express? Or were you sort of content to be somebody who was sort of waiting in the wings there watching all these shows and all these great artists coming through? Yeah, I never, I never, I never did it thinking of it
1: as a job or as a career or as a future or anything. I did it as a hobby to to get free tickets to gigs, um, <laughs> That's to important. be honest. Yeah. And and I never really saw it as a, as a, as an option or, or trying to have a career with it. Um, You know, I went to college and got my job and did all that, but I, I was just doing that on the side as a hobby, just because I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, I, I never kind of explored the, the you know, any way of, advancing that as a career trying to get a job doing it it just it was just a hobby
0: you wouldn't have been interested in managing any of those bands or going into A&R or public relations or I, I,
1: I, I mean I saw people do that and to be honest I think the job security aspect of it turned me off because you see people come and go you know all the time and it was like I I was going to college and thinking of my career and proper job to pay the mortgage and all that kind of thing i wasn't going to take a, a punt on some young bands and try and manage them <laughs>
0: <laughs> having seen some of the young bands that we saw come and go at that time you probably did the right thing <laughs> yeah now you, you weren't yeah. lucky enough to meet somebody like your your good lady wife anna anna was very involved in uh was it the, the mtv europe music awards and that yeah. kind of thing as well so does does she share your love of music to the same extent or is she Not just a all. normal
1: person She's a normal person yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> she she doesn't have this sort of burning ambition to to do the things that you've no. done
1: no and that and that's why she was so good at her job in m t v because she was never phased by these um crazy rock stars
0: (laughs) yeah i remember her being over here in stockholm when they did it here maybe 1999 2000 or something like that you know and i think ronan keating or somebody was over here and the whole world was going mad and anna was just going yeah no just spoke to him yeah grand lad you know that kind of thing you know um tell me about fan club and and how it started the fan club is basically a platform where fans can pay money to see exclusive live clips of their favorite artists their favorite songs is that a fair assessment of it
1: that is yeah yeah so what happened was it was really my kind of lockdown project. I was watching all these bands online on you know Facebook and Instagram and doing really good performances of stuff. Um, they not they weren't able to play live, so they weren't you know most of these kind of independent artists who depend on live gigs to, to to earn money. They weren't earning any money, but they were you know keeping things ticking along by playing live stuff on on Instagram or Facebook. But you could be you know we have a, like a ten minutes live Instagram. With a bit of chat and then a song and a bit of chat and a song. And one of the songs in there might have been really, really good. And for the next few days, it's it's easy enough to go back and find it and play it. But then it just gets lost in all the traffic on the Internet and you can't find it. Where, where is it? So I started thinking about it and coming up with the idea of putting together a, a site, which is basically a club where um, people drop in those great performances and those songs, put them in there. They're exclusive to the site and then fans then subscribe and get to see it all and get to see all the other artists, not just they they sign up for one artist, but they get to see everything. Hmm. So it's, it's not like some sites where you're, you know, you're paying just for one artist here. You get to see everything on the site. And then the idea being that you, you know, it's a credible, cool place for music and you come for one and then you find others. And then each of the artists has a little homepage. So you, you stumble across an artist, you like their song, and then you go and find them on, you know, Spotify or Bandcamp or something. You go and buy the the, the EP or the album or whatever it is, because all the performances on Fan Club are all, um, they tend to be kind of either live or acoustic or sitting at home or in rehearsal. They're not the fully produced end product. Um, but that's what we love. That's what we love about it is that it's it's different. It's exclusive. It's those versions that you wouldn't see anywhere else.
0: How difficult was it to build a platform, you know, because obviously everybody wants to build the next TikTok, the next Instagram, and Fan Club is an absolutely brilliant way to get your hands on these intimate, exclusive performances because I, I can't ever remember you being a sort of a tech whiz kid, you know, but did you have to get engineers to build this for you or how did you do it?
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not techie at all, not at all. Um, Anna looks after that side of it more than me, but no, really just it was a case of... Um, I went through a few people, to be honest, it took a long time and I went through a few people where someone would go, oh, here's a friend of mine can build websites, talk to them. And and then it became apparent that this scope of this was too big for them. And then we moved on to someone else and no, they they wouldn't be able to handle it. It's going to get too big. And so I got to the stage where I, I literally just went online and came up with Google's and came up with 10 big web design manufacturing companies in the US and went through them. What, what they've built, what they've done. I had some Zoom calls with people and ended up picking a company and going, okay, go for it. You're, you're going to be the ones who are going to do it for me. Um, It took took a long time to do that, to find someone, to get financing in place, to put it all together. And then it took them nearly a year to actually build it because we we wanted it to be special. We wanted it to work. We didn't want, it had to be, you know, it, it couldn't fail the first time. If people goes on and it's not working, they're never going to come back. So, We were we were very conscious that it had to be able to handle the amount of traffic we'd wanted to handle. It had to be able to handle the amount of videos and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it, it took a long time to get it right, but um, and there's still like little teething problems we find as you go through it. But we're we're very happy with how it looks now.
0: How many sleepless nights would have been involved in that year, prolonged process? Like, it was it easy for you to explain what you wanted, and then they come back with exactly that, or did you find yourself shouting at the goat? Look, lads, for the last time, you know, I don't want that color. I want this to happen when I click on that.
1: Yeah, that's still that's still happening, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> still happening, but no, I learned a lot from it as well, and and I, I got you know I got to meet some cool people who gave me advice and. Um, kind of nearly mentored me along the way, and said you need to do this first and do it this way, and that. So it's um, it's been a a learning process all along, but um, yeah, what well, we got mm-hmm. there. There's, there's
0: two aspects to this, right? One is getting the platform built, the other is getting the music and the musicians and the videos and everything like that. You know, when you first go to somebody like Mike Hanrahan, for instance, who both of us know well, you go to Mike and say, Look, and I want you to put up, you know, how were those discussions? You know, did you have to tell him, Look, you're going to make X amount of money, you're going to get this kind of thing? Was it easy to get you know, people to come on board of the platform?
1: It's not about the money. Um, I mean, the money is a plus, but you know, they get commission on the artists, get commission for who's signing up. But no, it it it's about the product um and and the you know being able to get this product there and these exclusive performances, getting the music out there to to fans. Um the difficulty has been trying to, you know, I am like, you know, I'm sending emails off to people and and I'm like the, you know, promising them all this and then they just hit delete or don't even you know, come back to me. It's getting to the people. And and what's happened is it's been word of mouth as I start to get to meet one and then another. And then that builds it up. And when I get talking to them and I explain it, most of them love it and, and are on board. Mike, Mike was a great example. You know, our mutual friend Dave Brown introduced me to, to Mike. And I, I met him in Dunleary for a coffee. And um he loves the idea and just loved it. And he's one of my biggest champion still he's you know loves what we're doing and how someone like him who's been around a while but we're developing all these new artists as well and there's new artists coming through and and he loves that aspect of it of supporting the music and the introducing people to new music
0: one of the things that uh, correct me now if I'm wrong but it seems to have made its debut in 2023 is that fan club is putting on shows or at least turning up and recording shows in various different places I think there was one in Dublin and there's one coming yeah. up now in London at the end of March I believe um, how, how easy is that how difficult is that how much of it is Anna's MTV Europe Music Awards and your nights behind the bar in the Shepherds Bush Empire being used there or is it much easier in the modern world to just go and put on a gig and film it and put it out there
1: It is easier. Yeah, it is. Um, To be honest, what happened was, I, I, the the first one, we've done two in Dublin now. and The first one was kind of behind closed doors. We didn't sell tickets. We just got 10 artists in, hired a video guy to to record them. Really, it was about getting the content because it's so hard to get these artists to to be, you know, a bit more proactive and actually recording stuff. Um, So the first one was really to get them in a room together, introduce them to each other, start building a bit of a community vibe um, and record it. The second one was we, so we'd said we'd do it again. It worked great. Let's sell some tickets. Let's get, let, get some people in. Um, and we did that at the end of January there in Dublin with a really, really cool gig um, with six all female artists playing um, and we recorded all that. All the stuff is up on the site now. And yeah, we've got one coming up in London. And again, it's just it, we, we want to keep branching that out, you know, so the London one is in Water Rats on the 12th of March. And um, We've got three artists playing. One is an Irish girl who lives over there. and The other two are English based. Well, actually, one is an English girl and then a guy, a Moroccan guy who's based in London. So we're trying to mix it up as well that it's not all Irish. You know, it's 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 kind of started as Irish just because we're Irish, but it's, it's not all Irish music. Um, but yeah, it's really a, a great way of getting the artists out there playing. The artists love it um, for the gigs and meeting other artists. And we're getting content for the site and getting the name out there. All along, when I started this, I said, I want to get to the stage where we're having outdoor shows in Marley Park or Fairview Park, where we've got like 10, 15 bands on over the day. And it's really cheap tickets and it's artists that wouldn't get to play a Marley Park gig at that stage of their career, but Mm -hmm. just get them in there and get like, you know, so build it to the stage where where people are coming because they want to hear the music and want to find new bands. And they might know one or two of the artists, but tickets are cheap. So they'll come along and, and see everyone else. Um, yeah. and, and that's the way we're going with these gigs to build up slowly.
0: It'd be great to have that sort of, you know, if you have a fan club as a brand and people go, okay, I know I'm going to get to hear good music. I don't know who's going to play it, but I know that I'm going to get to hear good people and maybe I'll, I'll find something new because I have found in sort of 20 years of living in Sweden and, you know, 18 years of having children that I've just completely lost touch. You know, there's no way that, you know, where, the way we were as, as teenagers getting every record that came out and really yeah. I just haven't done that in so long. So I have a, I'm not in, in touch with new music at all anymore. And that's why I joined fan club when you set the thing up, like without even yeah. telling you. I was going, okay, I have to find some new things here. Uh, you mentioned that gig in Dublin at the end of January, right? No tickets behind yeah. closed doors. We're just going to test this out. What was the vibe like with those 10 acts who were there? Were they kind of, you know, post pandemic meeting people for the first time kind of thing? How did they interact with one another?
1: Yeah, they loved it. I mean, so that first one was back in October um, with the 10, 10 behind closed doors. They loved it. They loved meeting each other. They loved kind of getting together and having a chat. They all stayed and supported each other. And, you know, it it was it was a really good vibe about the place. It I, I think people had been out and about a while. It wasn't their first time out at a gig, but there definitely was a post pandemic thing of let's do this again, let's get together and all that. And and because of the vibe was so good, that's why we wanted to do it again and bring the public in, sell tickets, because it, it, it just works so well. We have go, we got to share this. Um, so the one in January again was was really really good. Um and we got them all up on stage. We got the all of the artists at the end of the night to do um Christy uh, Aslan's Crazy World as a bit of a, a love tribute to to Christy Dignam. But that's the one song actually that's not on the site yet. It'll be gone up tonight. Um, but all the rest of their performances are on the site, and and that's gonna that'll be gone up tonight as the last song from the from that gig. Mm-hmm. But that's and that's another thing we want to try and encourage with the gigs is getting people playing together. Like at at the first one we had um. Uh, Mike Cameron and Rebecca Redmond played together, they'd never played together and they got up and did a song together this one we got them Uh, I'm I'm talking to the artists for the London gig to get them to do a song together at the end of the night and just kind of build up that kind of, again it's exclusive performance it's something you won't see anywhere else
0: Um, It has to be pointed out that yourself and your good lady wife have been living in the Cayman Islands for many years because both of you are working over there, how hard or easy is it to keep fan club running from, you know you're a little bit off the beaten track there, Dick.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt it'd be easier if I was living in London, probably, or Dublin. Um, but I'm lucky enough that I get to travel a lot for work for my my real job. And I, you know, when I'm when I'm over there, I'll meet an artist and talking to artists and, and Zoom is fantastic like this, you know. So most of them I haven't met or hadn't met before the gigs. Um it's all done over Zoom and um, talking to them and getting them involved
0: are you getting to the stage now where people are finding you where an artist is going to say look at i want to be on fan club my name is such and such can you put this video up
1: yeah yeah which is great yeah it's great that we're getting to that stage so there's there's a sign up button on the website when they come along for an artist that you can you know request info and we get in touch with them and and you know um we quality control them and then uh and then we we get them on board <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so the quality control is that you and Anna basically going okay don't know about this <laughs>
1: It, it, it is a bit yeah yeah right. it is a bit look it's you know we we want to be I, I as you said earlier i want it to be a credible site where people know the brand and go i'm gonna like that music so it's yeah um we have we, we we are being careful about who who gets on board and who we bring on board um but we're you know we're very happy with all the ones that we have on there there's there's the same number again who are not on there yet but who have agreed to come on they just haven't got their videos ready and um, we we don't we don't make a page live until they have at least five songs at least five videos Mm. so there's a lot in the background that are nearly at that stage and they'll all be you know go live soon um but yeah it's yeah well we're happy with the acts that we have on there
0: um, when you do look at them, the metrics of this are there a lot of people like? Can you see this sort of growing and growing and growing? Because often the hardest part of these things is surviving long enough to reach that sort of tipping point where all of a sudden everybody knows what Fan Club is and what those gigs in Marley Park and Fairview Park and in London are all about. You know, so can you see a sort of a growing interest on in, and in what artists are doing the business?
1: Yeah, that's that's the the challenge is to is to keep it going long enough to get to get over that tipping point. Absolutely. Um, we've got a lot of young artists on there who have no doubt are going to go on to big careers. Um, And we just want to make sure that we're still around when they do. And that hopefully we'll have played a part in, in developing their career and they'll stay loyal to us and still keep giving us, you know, great exclusive um, performances and that kind of thing as they, as they get bigger. Um, But yeah, that, is, that it is definitely a challenge to, to, to keep it going. Um, But we, you know, we're, we're excited by it. We love what we're doing and the, the artists that we have we're very happy with so we'll um we, we just see it growing slowly but surely
0: now the practicalities of this deck uh, deck it's uh for f- the service called fan club you go there is it 49.99 euros uh for a year's membership yeah yeah it's, it's actually
1: priced in dollars us but yeah it's 49.99 a year it's 4.99 for a month so you can sign up just for a month and, and give it a try um and hopefully
0: stay on there but yeah that's it and all the music is on there. There's a whole bunch of artists. Every artist that has five videos up there, they have their own page. And then there's various algorithms that are going to suggest that if you like that, well, maybe you might like this and that kind of thing as well, right? Yeah. And, and there's things like there's, the,
1: there's a trending now section. There's um the, the new release section. So when you drop in, you can see what's been put up since you were last on there. You can see what people are listening to. Uh, one point about that, though, is we don't we don't publish the numbers. So the fans don't get to see the numbers of how many views and things people are getting. The artist will see their own numbers, so they'll know what's happening. But we we don't want we don't want fans to be influenced by two videos side by side, one with ten thousand views and one with ten views. We mm-hmm. we want you to look at the one with ten views as well and go and investigate it and see do you like it. Um. So we're we don't let the fans see the numbers of views, but they do see the top twenty trending and the top twenty of of all time on the site and things like that, so they can. You Know see what's popular.
0: As we speak, what was the most popular video to date?
1: The most popular to date has just changed recently, actually. It was um Lara Bell with two Le Um, she's a busker in Dublin, she's from Donegal, and she's absolutely brilliant. Um, she headlined our last gig and, and was brilliant. Um, I'm a big fan of hers. So that song was number one, but Charlotte Campbell's song City Life there in the last week has has gone up to has overtaken that as the number one song. And Charlotte's playing our our London gig in a few weeks. But that's a, um, again, that's very a handy
0: ind- indeed for the marketing purposes, isn't it?
1: Independent artist in in London. She's got a few albums under her belt. Um, she busks in the uh, in Waterloo, um, and and gigs regularly over there. So she's another really cool artist. Yeah
0: when we go back to when you were standing behind the bar in the shepherd's bush empire things were different then because everybody was looking for the half a million or the million pound record deal right that's not the way of the world anymore so when you speak to these artists are they you know do they go on fan club grudgingly because they need the exposure or are they delighted that you're sharing commission with them what's their sort of you know because you always hear them saying okay spotify you know it's only it's fractions of a penny for every listen Uh, where do they make their money from nowadays dick
1: it's it's from playing gigs um I, I don't think any of them any of these guys are making money on Spotify you've got to be really big for that um so yeah it, it's it's gigs um so they're delighted to delight to get involved with us because it does you know give them a bit more exposure and all that kind of thing Um. some more people find out about them and we'll go and see their gigs we've got we've got a section on the site for where you can put up your live gigs and you can put up uh ticket links and all that for them so really it's it's and a lot of these guys, too, they don't have their own website or anything. So it's like their own homepage where you can go and find out about them and and, and they can promote themselves on it. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess that's it.
0: And now, are yourself and Anna just waiting for some big venture capital company to knock on your door in the Cayman Islands and go, this is great, this is a $500 million idea, thanks very much? Because it strikes me that after knowing you through the IROC years of your own fanzine in London and printing it out on Get Stetners and that kind of thing, that this is more a labour of love than a pension for the future kind of thing, is it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, even, even, I even I I I can't see myself giving up control, but, um, you know it's too it's too much fun. Um, no, it's more it's 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 the the dream is more to see some of the artists get big, and then the brands get big. You know, I mean, like I use Dermot Kennedy as an example often with with artists. Like if I had started this ten years ago and got Dermot Kennedy, or even six years ago, whenever it was, uh, when he was like busking on Grafton Street, you know how big his page on fan club would be now and how many followers we would have now following him on fan club i've got i've got buskers and Maritus on there now who are absolutely brilliant at the, that same stage of their career and i've no doubt some of them in five six years will be you know having hit singles and world tours and all that kind of stuff so that's that's the dream to to stick with it and and see that happen um and then make sure they give me free tickets for gigs and stuff
0: exactly 20 30 odd years later after leaving uh dublin for for london Uh, we have to ask i know we started this conversation in london but uh, you've been in the cayman islands for how long now uh 12 years 12 years what's life like in the irish community there because i know you played gaelic football over there with your son dan and that kind of thing is it is it a pleasant place to live says he in cold and dark and weary stockholm
1: it's very very pleasant place to live it is yeah it's a good place to be yeah i came over here for work for a year um and ended up staying so it's, it's definitely a pleasant place to be yeah no, has,
0: it, has it surprised you in any way has it turned out the way you would expect it over there because i don't think you expected to stay this long did you no not at
1: all no not at all um we thought we'd give it a year or two and just and see what it's like as, a, as an extended holiday in the sun but uh, no i mean it's hard work we work hard over here and all that it's but well, you do have a nice lifestyle it is good yeah
0: how is the irish community over there is the gaelic football still going strong
1: Gaelic football has come very strong here. It's the, it's the biggest sport on the island for participation, biggest sports club, um, right. adding new teams every year, and it's, it's doing really well, yeah.
0: And is there a lot now? Of course, we're coming up to St. Patrick's end, that kind of thing. Will that be celebrated in the style to which you're accustomed, or will it just sort of pass by? No, it, it, yeah, we've got a
1: we've got a gala ball, green tie gala ball with the Black Donnellys are, are coming down to play it um, from Vegas, fan club artists. Uh, so, yeah, it's going to be a
0: big, big, nice, big deal. Yeah. And of course, uh, we're hoping to talk to Dave Brown for this episode as well. They passed by there on a cruise ship that they were sort of cruising around with uh, Derek Warfield and the Young Wolf Tones as well. Did they play in the Cayman Islands or did they just step off the boat to say hello? They stepped
1: off the boat to say hello and then had a session in, in the Irish bar where they all piled in with guitars and had a big session for a couple of hours and lunchtime in Cayman. And um word went out very quickly to to people. I was there because I was with the guys from the Black Donnellys, but word was going out, texts were being sent around to people. Get in here quick, you're you're missing it. Um because they had to be back on the on the the cruise ship by like three o'clock or something in the afternoon. So they only had the few hours, but it was good fun.
0: They were there playing away at the pub, but I, I, you know, I I should have expected that now. I haven't heard the tale from them yet. I've been trying to get Dave Brown to talk to me all week, you know. Um, Where do you see this ended up, Deck? Is it the sort of thing that eventually you feel that you'd like to move back to Europe and sort of, you know, really give this a go? Or do you feel it, you know, it's the kind of thing that could just grow organically, that now you've built it, that people will eventually find their way to it?
1: Yeah, that's it. There's no hurry. Um, Grow organically. Happy to see it grow organically and adding new artists all the time um and and just and just see where it goes because we just enjoy doing it it's good fun um it, it is a labor of love but we'll just see see what happens i mean ideally like the dream is that we will be having those big gigs in fairview parks in Anse Park, marley park that kind of stuff but um that's a few years away but we're we're gradually growing towards that as we build up the roster and and you know build up the, the smaller gigs first
0: well, it's a long way from booming free tickets off to Cranberries in London, but uh, I wish yeah. you every success with it. Forty nine ninety nine in dollars, not euros, in dollars for all the music you can eat. For now, Declan McGuinness, thanks so much for joining me on The Global Gale. And
1: and you just give out the website there, yeah, fanclublimited.com, LTD. Fanclubltd.com.
0: And all the information about the gigs and everything is there as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Sure, we'll what more could a body I ask for? We it.
0: shall include that in the show notes and everything else like that. And oh, if thanks. I can, I won't be able to get over there for the twelfth of uh, of March, but uh, at some point in the near future, if you're coming to London, hopefully we can show up over there. Maybe we might even do a little bit of recording ourselves. Excellent. Sounds good. Super deck. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye now. There you go, a little snippet there of the most watched video on Fan Club. That is City Girl, and that is by Charlotte Campbell. And if you go onto the site and you pay your 50 bucks for the year, you'll find there's loads and loads and loads of clips like that. Uh, Some are shot with mobile phones. Some are shot at gigs uh, with professional equipment and this kind of thing. Some are very short songs. Uh, That one by Charlotte Campbell is only two minutes and 40 seconds long. Others are, you know, five, six, seven minutes long. Um, Her video performance there was just shot on the South Bank in London and it's just beautiful. It's tremendous guitar playing, lovely, simple, melodic song and there's loads of out there and there's all kinds of music out there as well so there's folk music and there's rock music and there's loads of new stuff there and there's established artists like the lads from the Black Donnellys who was hoping to get in this podcast but uh, they're so busy in Las Vegas and wandering around playing on various different uh, cruise ships around uh, the, the Gulf of Mexico and all sorts of places like that I'll get them on to talk about it again soon but it really is brilliant because the thing about music I suppose and the thing about podcasting and the thing about all these things. It's that sense of connection, it's that sense of listening to something and sharing something. And when I go back to growing up in Dublin with Declan, when we used to go and watch bands all the time, and we talked about Sultans a ping, and we talked about something happens, there was a brilliant Irish band called Guernica. And if you go back, you'll find an episode of the Airman and Stockholm podcast where I spoke to Joe Rooney. Joe was probably best known for being the comic actor and a stand-up comedian who played Father Damo and Father Ted. But before he did that, uh, he was in the band called Guernica. And they're absolutely brilliant band. I knew their drummer, Lord Dara Bro, very well indeed. And they made an absolutely tremendous mini album, which was supposed to come out, but then the pandemic came and got in the way and that. But it was that sense of connection, boys and girls, that sense of sharing something, of enjoying something, of having something, a a song or or a piece of art say something to you that was just tremendous. And that was what sort of, you know, the bonds of of our friendships with people in music in Dublin, in the music scene in Dublin, I mean, many of them have endured to this day. So it's magnificent. And to see that now online, because as Declan was saying, you know, saving up your money and going into Dolphin discs, there used to be a run there from. was a Talbot Street and up North Air Street Golden Discs were there and then you would go to you know along Henry Street and around to Abbey Discs which is where they sold a lot of uh, dance music and that kind of thing but the, the city used to be full of record shops with great music and uh, my god we used to spend our money on it but now you have places like Fan Club and there are places that you can go to find this stuff and to consume it to use the modern parlance and you can discover artists and that kind of thing the way that maybe we would have used Hot Press or Jesus even Dave Fanning show here. Dave is uh, stepping away from that for now you know but They were the kind of ways that we found out about these things in the past. Anyway, fanclubltd.com is where you need to go. Pay the 50 bucks if you can, if you're a music fan at all. And most importantly, if you're around London on the 12th of March, or if you're in Dublin, or if you see them playing anywhere, go see the gigs, right? Because... Um, I suppose one of the things the pandemic did teach us was that these things can't exist in a vacuum, right? It's all well and good going and listening to stuff on Spotify so they can get a fraction of a cent for every listen, that kind of thing. But if artists are making their money from live music, we have to go, lads. We can't just sit in our couch and go, oh, you know, I'm expecting all this great content and I can put this on in the gym and that kind of thing. And I can pay 50 bucks for fan club, but I'm not going to buy a t-shirt. Like, go. Go see them because eventually it'll get to the stage where nobody bothers their arse anymore. You know, I know loads and loads of artists, especially musical artists who go look at, you know, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I putting so much effort into making something this perfect and this great when people aren't prepared to pay for it? Well, it goes for podcasts, it goes for journalism as well. We have to be prepared to stick our hand in our pocket where we can. Anyway, on that news, I shall leave you with it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. I think it's fascinating to, to see somebody like Declan with such a passion for this, that he goes, and indeed, you know, Anna, his fantastic wife as well, that they just got sort of stuck into the whole thing altogether, and that they're doing this project as a labour of love. If you have anything similar on the go at all, if you're in sports or if you're a musician, if you're a writer, you, you know, whatever you're doing, actually there's another podcast coming up very soon about another fascinating artistic project, which I shall tell you about uh, next week, I would hope. But get in touch with those ideas, lads, because I think the people around the world like to hear about them, and they like to spread the word, and they like to be part of those kinds of things. So If you've like that, get on to me. If you're doing that, and if your Gaelic football club is doing anything, if they're, if they're heading to the Cayman Islands for a game, she so may as well get on there as well. In the meantime, let the preparations continue for St. Patrick's Day, and we'll see how we get through all that. But for now, I shall leave you with it. Take care of you as ourselves, take care of one another, and I'll be back very, very soon indeed with another episode of the Global Gael Podcast. Cast. Good luck.